Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to do a campaign pitch me. The campaign's called Tempest Fugit. And before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks what it is we do on this podcast? Well, on this podcast, we like to talk about games. Uh, the campaign pitch me is like... Is it a segment? What is it? Like, long-running, like, episode concept yeah. where we just kind of, like, sit down and talk about, like, all right, like, you know, imagine you're in, like, the studio office of, like, Wizards or something, and you need to write, like, an adventure or a campaign um, for, for D&D or for Pathfinder or for whatever else it is. We just kind of, like... We, we, we take it we take it from there. We've done a couple of these so far. Okay, so this is your campaign pitch me. Yes, and uh, kind of in in the in, if for longtime listeners, your campaign pitch meets are a little bit more fully formulated, and mine are a little bit more kind of abstract, and we work through the details. So that, that's that that trend is definitely going to hold here. Um, but uh, before I but I, I want to try pitching it because because I think the reveal is pretty cool. So. Um, so this is a typical kind of Pathfinder startup, right? Or a D and D start. You know, you all all the, the whole okay. party starts in a tavern. In fact, I think part of key to this to making the the uh, uh, kind of kind of at work is that it, it is a very typical start. I'm going to start in a tavern. You know, party assembles. Party, you know, does the whole introduction thing, um, and uh, I essentially you want I want the opening to be fairly routine i'm thinking something like um you know local lord says you know oh there are these ruins nearby um and they're normally not a problem but say the uh like uh, goblins kobolds some kind of low-level enemy uh, like a, a group of them has moved in and they're starting to cause problems they're harassing people on the road maybe it's bandits right i need you all to go uh i need somebody to go clear it out um there's a reward etc 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 so the party goes to the, um, the, the the party goes to the, the 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 keep and they explore it and you know it's fairly typical you know you know do a handful of like uh, encounters ends with um, maybe a you know a slightly bossier monster um, but as they're going through it um, if they're being sneaky or you know if they they have, they perchance to overhear some stuff um, they hear stuff about like you know. And, you know, the, that, that like a wall has kind of crumbled in the back of one of the chambers. And they're like, uh, and, and they're all murmuring about, you know, this kind of big thing in the, uh, in the back of, uh, in, in the back of the keep, the boss man's guarding, right? So they go through okay. the, they, they go through the keep and they, um, uh, they beat, you, you, you beat the boss man and, uh, uh, and, you know, in, it's kind of like, I'm envisioning this in like a, a basement and uh, or like it, it kind of like a lower level, uh, maybe like a vault's a better word to put it. And at the back of the vault, the vault, a wall has is, is clearly broken down. And behind it, uh, you see this. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what it looks like right now, but I, I originally conceived of it as like a mirror. And the mirror um, is actually kind of uh, is has a number on it. And over the course of uh, the fight. You notice that the number is counting down. It's very close to being to, to being done, um, and so the fight ends, and the party goes over to the, uh, the the party examines the object right, and it's about to count down. And so um, the idea is that when the countdown hits zero, um, essentially they're transported to like they look to the mirror and they're all transported to this kind of uh, uh, 
uh, nether realm or this kind of external realm. And in that realm, they see another group of adventurers dressed in strange armor and clad with things that they don't understand. One of, you know, shiny, uh, shiny armor that's, you know, seems of unearthly material and uh, wielding uh, things that look like pistol crossbows, except they don't quite have, um, uh, uh, the, the, they don't have like the bow mechanism, right? Like maybe they look kind of like a, uh, something that resembles maybe those those firearms you see down in the in the south, but uh, much different and much stranger. Um, and uh, the party, the opposing or the the party standing across from them looks familiar, but you just can't place your finger on it. And then that's the end of session one. And then, um, uh, and then the instruction from the GM is, uh, all right, I need you to all to write up characters in Starfinder or you know this future system. And the idea for the uh, the campaign is that there's uh, the the artifact's called the Tempest Fugit, which is between times flies, but it just kind of sounds appropriate. Um, and the idea that inspired this is, uh, you know how how we all ha- how at least I know you and me, and I'm sure most people do have multiple characters with the same name. They're kind of variations on a theme. Yeah. Um, like there's Tonric and WoW. I use Tonric in our. Uh, Hell's Rebels game, for instance. Tonric is the character that I played in, like, Dragon Age Inquisition sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, and so there's that, and then there's, like, um, the other part of this that, that kind of got to me was um, <laughs> Cloud Atlas, or, like, um, just, like, a bunch of these things where, like, the idea is that um, heroes connected by fate through time, right? And so um, the kind of base version, I, I want it to be essentially... The it's not the same characters that, per se, like right, like the instructions kind of like figure out who these characters are and how they're connected to your character. It doesn't have to be by blood, but if you want to be by blood, it can be right. Um, with uh, as the campaign goes on, like essentially, you get like two or three more of these campaigns happening in parallel in this kind of like, um, in this kind of uh, uh, it, it, it and. Uh, sorry these these campaigns happen in parallel and there's like three or four of them um and the the tempest fugit is counting down um and whenever it whenever it hits zero everybody interacts i haven't quite figured out how i want like um how i want like the 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 time travel mechanics the part of this came up because we were talking about time travel mechanics a couple weeks ago um and this i think obviates a lot of the harder parts of it which is you know how do you deal with like paradoxes or whatever um and that's essentially that like um, everybody's running forward in time, um, and you only interact at certain set points. Um, and the idea would be if like, I, the, the thought that, that came to this is that, um, the big bad is what I'm going to call a time lich. And, uh, at the end of the campaign is kind of like getting, like getting everything together and, uh, you know, all the parties simultaneously defeating, you know, the lich in their time period, right? There's like a version of this that looks like earthbound, um, I've got a couple other thing thoughts um, in there to, uh, for like specific moments, but but what do you think so far? Okay, so the moment that you said that they see like another version of themselves or whatever, I immediately got a big smile on my face. Like I understand where this going. I was like, oh, that's clever. Like that's a sweet pitch, right? Um, and but it does leave me with a couple of questions, right? Where I'm like, what could happen next for instance like what would you see okay so like that's session one for instance right would you see 
okay, I, to, to break this down even further, I think of campaigns in terms of six because a lot of the times when we're doing stuff, we're thinking about like pre, uh, you know, like we're, we're talking about like pre-written adventures and those typically have six books that span about, you know, 20 levels, right? So you kind of have levels like one through three and then three, you know, four through seven, you know, uh, eight, nine, ten kind of thing, right? Um do you foresee would you would you want this to be something that people are swapping to session to session or like for instance book to book like maybe book 1 is you play your characters in Pathfinder then book 2 is you're playing sort of this like futuristic mirror of the same events or not quite the same events but like the same you know it's like poetry it rhymes. right yeah um yeah uh the same the same sort of like ideas and like broad concepts uh, with Starfinder characters, and then you're swapping back and forth. Like, is that is that the way that you, you so, foresee this sort of thing? So I can see it working either way, but in my original conception, right, like, since part of the inspiration for this is the Cloud Atlas thing, it's a lot more kind of rapid back and forth, right? Like, um, like I do, like, I do want kind of, like, very simple cross, um, cross timeline kind of inter- interactions, right? Like, part, part of the thought of this was that, like, um, uh, is that, the way that the time lich works is that he's got phylacteries that are that are dispersed across time, and so you know the the characters have to pass things in time to each other, right? Like, um, like, uh, and you know it's it's easy easy enough for the parties to like the parties in the past to pass things forward. Um, and maybe one of the major things is figuring out how a party in the future gets thing a thing to the right point place in the past. Um, because uh, that's like a little obviously a little bit more of a wrinkle there. Um. But I was I was envisioning it being kind of like, um, not necessarily session to like every single session is a swap out, but like every couple of sessions things switch up. And I think kind of the ideal cadence of this would be like the first book is bouncing back and forth between party one and party two. And end of book, um, end of book one is where you introduce maybe party three and party four, which would probably be the extent of it. I wouldn't want to I wouldn't want to push it too hard. The idea for this too is that this is also going to be a big bigger long-running game um so that like you know like this is kind of like a like the idea is that you know you're getting getting yourselves into like something big with this because i i do kind of want to give it that kind of distance to breathe um okay yeah so so i definitely like the pathfinder starfinder interaction where would you expect party three and party four to come into play yeah so this was this was this was something i was thinking of and it, it requires a little bit more elbow grease the other system i thought this might work for would be shadow run because shadow run has um uh a fantasy it's kind of about that midpoint in a way you know yeah. you're not doing outer space stuff but you are doing future stuff yeah and there is um there are uh you know so the the way the path or the shadow run universe works is that um uh, it's every like the world runs in cycles. It's the the Aztec calendar, and in the and uh, there are books you can buy for the past cycle because I think you're in the fifth cycle in Shadowrun. You you can buy a book for the third cycle and for the seventh cycle. Um, so I think thought that that naturally fits. There's also kind of like you could bend it a little bit, right? Because uh, when we played, we at Gen Con played like kind of like the Victorian England cycle, which obviously doesn't fit with uh, the the core Shadowrun lore but that's it that that's like a the, the particulars there right like there's at least rule support that you could like bend lore around um would you be will so okay so maybe another version of this is it's all linked in starfinder pathfinder but like that they are 
I, so I'm thinking of Time Spiral, Planar Chaos, Future Sight. You know, like in, in in magic terms, Time Spiral is bringing back a bunch of mechanics from the past. Planar Chaos is when things swap around, right? So, for instance, Ball Lightning gets reimagined as a green card, or um, you know, Counter Spell gets reimagined as a white card, sort of thing. Where it's like you know, certain identities bleed across to one another. Would you be? What about a version of things? Or like, say, for instance, the whole party is like you know, typical Varesian adventurers and they're all relatively, like, good aligned. But then there's another version of things where, like, it is an alternate, but inside of the same time period, right? Alternate takes on the same party in a parallel universe that's, like, the evil party who who's playing with this, right? Who are, like, working for Chiliax or something like that. Um, or another version of this might be, like, you know, so, for instance... Um, Maybe you look at your character and you say, here's an inflection point from that character's past, right? Where they chose to, instead of being a wizard, they chose to be a rogue. And then the alternate version is, it's the same character, but they are now, the, this, is the, this is the timeline where they became the wizard. And so everybody's like rebuilds of the same sort of characters, but like with with alternate play styles and classes based on their, you know, decisions and backstory and whatever and like whatever else. So that's so that's really neat. But I think I think if I wanted to do that, like I think that's like a, a very good but different idea, right? Like I think that that's like kind of like a all all the parties are in, are in one of the systems. Although you saying that kind of like I think generates a thing that makes a little bit more sense to me. And um, so part of this is like, I think doing Pathfinder, Starfinder, right? And then the next, and then maybe making party three, like just a Shadowrun group and maybe even like in Shadowrun, right? Like, um, like there's something recognizable there, but like, you know, like it slowly, it slowly gets a little bit more meta um, because, um, because like, you know, it's like, wait, this is a different system. This is, this isn't like a, a tied world, right? Like, so, so one of the things that I want to do at the way tail end of this, right? Like the, this is like the final fight is right. Like, you know, all the parties have their like different phylacteries and uh, they're all facing down the time much at the same time. And you're kind of like swapping, but you know, like you're doing quick cuts essentially between groups and, you know, maybe this is a little bit too tough mechanically to pull out without like making everybody hate themselves. But like, you know, um, you know, everybody kind of destroys their lich and destroys their, or it goes to destroy their lich and their phylactery at the same time. But something I wanted to do is kind of like a prop thing was that like the final phylactery is I pass out like D20 modern sheets of me statting up the players. And then like the GM me is the final boss. And then like the final phylactery is like a prop that I pull out and I hand to the players to tear up. Christopher fucking Nolan. I think we discovered his next movie. <laughs> <laughs> No, I actually think that that's kind of compelling. I almost sort of wonder if maybe you could do D&D and Pathfinder, right? So, oh, yeah, so the that's genesis cool. of that's this planar idea. chaos idea in my head, like in universe is something like, all right, imagine you do you do three books of this, right? Rapid swapping back and forth every couple of sessions sort of thing. And then at the end of the first half, right? The time lich is now on to you and but rather than deal with you directly, he goes back in, you know what I mean? Like he goes back in time and, like, fucks with something to radically change, like, the world. Which is how, like, you have, let's say, Party 1 is the Pathfinder Party. Well, now Party 1, like, the, the Time Lich has fucked with time such that you are now Party 1, but in a 
like a D&D parallel universe. So you're now using D&D 5e rules rather than Pathfinder rules. Like, you know, and maybe you could say like, oh, well, like Pathfinder is a naturally more powerful system than D&D is. So like that has something to do with like the, the way that like the Lich approached it. And so now you're, you're rolling the same characters, but in an altered timeline because of that kind of a thing. It doesn't really work as well, I guess, for Starfinder, but I like the idea that like that D and D five E and Pathfinder are being used kind of opposite one another in terms of systems. I also do kind of like Shadowrun as sort of like a midquel point. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it really just like does fit that that mid, and, and you could do it's it's almost like the big four, right? Like you do Pathfinder, Starfinder, you know D and D five E and and uh, uh, Shadowrun, and you kind of have I don't know, just like four different iterations of very core systems to like tabletop role playing. Yeah, so I think I so I think I like that, right? I think if 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 it gets done that way, 5e is the fourth party, right? Cuz that's like the twist. It's like, wait, this is the same time period. And I think if you do that then it's Shadowrun system and maybe Shadowrun mechanics, but it's it's uh the world is built so it's like a like essentially a, a Galarian that we haven't yeah. or you know. Um I think I do this in a custom world, but kind of like Mm-hmm. The 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 rough stilts of the world are like it's not the it's not the Shadowrun lore right it's the um uh, although I guess you could build the Shadowrun you know you could use the Shadowrun lore and be like well Pathfinder was the third cycle and Starfinder is the seventh cycle um, you know it, one of the interesting things I feel like I wouldn't want to run this in Galarian I would want to run this in a custom world because yeah. I think one of the interactions that that would be neat is the past party which is communicating with the future party is like okay. We're sealing this tomb, right? And it's going to unlock 10,000 years from now. And now the Starfinder party is going to the same tomb, but right. 10,000 years later or whatever, right? So that, like, you're, like, as you're, if you're passing something forward through time, not like I open a time portal and give it to my alternate self, but I bury it in the ground and then 10,000 years from now, yeah. my future self knows to dig it dig it up. That's kind of impossible in the way that Galarian disappears in yeah, Starfinder. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right about that. Um, so, yeah, I think I think you're right. It wants to be done in a custom world um, with, with some explanation for that. I do, so. I, also, I also wonder how much you could do with Starfinder and, like, ships and, like, alternate planets. Like, Starfinder kind of wants to be a little bit like Star Wars where you're going to different planets all the time. But, like, you can't really do that as easily in Pathfinder or, like, as cleanly, I guess. So, like, it feels like it has to be rooted very much in the single planet that you're on. Yeah, I mean, you can do it in, in Pathfinder, though, right? Like, there is there are the spells for that. Um, uh, and like you could build a campaign that does that. It'd be a little bit tougher to do, right? Like you probably want to do that like a little bit later on. Um, yeah. So, so, so you know, my, my mind's also kind of running wild because I, I kind of want to like, I think maybe like maybe as a, as another episode at some point, but I do like this kind of addition swap idea as well. Like um, a game where like uh, essentially the first like, so so I've now now I'm I'm just kind of like vamping on like the, this edition switch thing right like the the first sure. um I think this fits better with kind of like the the you know go for roll for a while and then like time resets and then you roll forward as a as a different party but I kind of want to do PF2E then 5E then PF1E then D and D you know like you know four E three five like just roll back down Whoa. to like you know <laughs> <laughs> um that's trippy <laughs> yeah. um. 
I think that that that's like a, a cool separate concept, but I don't I don't think that's quite what I want to do here because like I think that's like yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's like I think like the what is essentially the Groundhog Day campaign. I think there, um, you know, not quite that, but um, I think that's a cool idea too. But um, uh, no, I but I think I I think the the meat and potatoes of this game is that kind of forward backward right bury this in a tomb yeah and then unearth it later right or like figure out you know what i mean like maybe it's something like well we build the tomb in D D, right we we built or rather in pathfinder we build the tomb we we put all these traps in there or something like that right um to guarantee that nobody like gets to the bottom of it and then the dm gets to make a kind of an adjudication of like, well, did someone rob this tomb along the way or not? Like, were you, were you like, because you have to give agency to the police right. to a certain extent, right? Um, in how they, in how they act, and, and you need to kind of like evaluate along those lines. So, like, maybe it's a story of like, you know, they, you, you delve through your future selves, delve through your old past selves, protected tomb, and then you find out that it actually got robbed in the midquel. And so then you have to get, get in contact with your shadow run selves to track down, you know, to figure out who robbed, you know, like who robbed the tomb yeah. sort of thing. You know, so th- that's, then it's kind that's, of like passing the baton, right? That's actually a great way to introduce the midquel, right? Like, you know, it's like they, they show up at the tomb and it's not there. And then the sink happens and then this third party pops in and you look at them like, why do you have the thing, right? Like, who are you, right? Yeah. Like, um, so I, I think, I think that that absolutely works. Yeah. Um, I think, I think you're absolutely right. But I think, I think that wants to pull out the, uh, the kind of like the, the 5e team. Um, I think the way you maybe want to play that is, so another, another thing that kind of like popped into my head for this is, um, the guys that do, um, oh, what's the name of it? It's, it's essentially the Warhammer 40k, or not 40k, the, the Warhammer, um, Fantasy role play? it's, it's. A team that took it's called Zweihander. That's what it's called. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember Zweihander. Okay, so Zweihander it has a Kickstarter coming up, which is essentially like, um, uh, 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 what's it called? Um, Elder Gods Horror American Revolution game, which is another thing that like popped into my head for this. Um, and you know, it's it's harder to do specific um specific events in in a. In kind of a, a system that that kind of like breaches or in the real world, right? Like it's harder to, to write Pathfinder into the real world, I think. Um, but like that's why I kind of wanted to do the time thing. I wanted like I think I want I think I I, I think the the way to do it is you know start standard fantasy. Second party is far future. Third party, I guess, is Shadowrun, and then uh, and then do something in kind of like a. Uh, although since I'm liking this kind of like like genre bending thing or like a system bending thing. Um, Maybe like that. That last party is like relatively like not an attention part of it, but you do something crazy, like you do it in fate, right? Like you know, you, you play one of these kind of like much more uh, fluffy games uh, in fate, and you know, in, in, and you know, parallel here is yeah, that. I get that. Well, so I, I do think the last party can make sense as like so. For instance, okay, let's let's imagine you do it sort of linearly, right? You have the Pathfinder party who is communicating and interacting with the Starfinder party. Then, more or less halfway through, you introduce a Shadowrun party that is doing whatever with the MacGuffin that that you need in the Midquel era. The that's all one timeline, right? It is essentially going one three two in the timeline, whereas the D and D five e is sort of a redo of one. And I think that that would be that would make sense as sort of like a 
like you know like the end of the like the end of the second act kind of all hope is lost plot twist sort of thing oh okay this is where you know like the party gets together and they're ready to attack the lich and they fight the lich and then the lich says you know what they're actually really close to beating me i gotta do something about this and then he goes and he alters that that core timeline right right to introduce this fourth party which is the like which is the D &D for yeah 5e you know kind of group or something kind of along those lines um I think that would be pretty sweet. No, no, I, I think like I think you're right. Sense. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right. Um, uh, so, do you if if that's the case, what do you what do you think? So, I think I'd absolutely agree with you. Um, so, what the the five E party happens? What is what is your what is what is your idea for like how that works? Right, like is the one E party transformed so, into the five E party or not the one E? No, 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 no. So, so I think what I would do is I would have it kind of be like. Um, this is, like, later in the game, obviously, when, like, the characters are more powerful. But as the 5e party, they need to be running around going and trying restabilizing the timeline so that they can kind of reactivate their alternate party selves. So imagine there's one adventure to stabilize the alternate Pathfinder party, and they do that, and then they like, okay, cool, now we have that group back in, right? And then they do the same thing for the, the Shadowrun party, the same thing for the Starfinder party. Now all four parties are all on the same page, and they're all, and then, like, that's your final fight. You know what I mean? Okay, so, so it's so- kind of like... Like, the third act is basically the the five e party, um, doing doing uh like just activating the other three parties then. Yeah, well, so I I would imagine it would swap back and forth, right? Okay. Like you would have the five e party who reactivates the Pathfinder party, and then you'd be you'd also be doing stuff with the Pathfinder party or whatever. Like you know, if it were eight sessions, you might do one five e, one Pathfinder, another five e, another Shadow Find Shadow Run, one five e. And then Starfinder, you know what I mean? Like you're kind of hopping back and forth between between all of them. But with the the five E party is sort of the spine, and then the final, you know, like the final big boss fight would be with all four parties sort of together, like you know, do, doing their thing as like a as a cohesive unit. And then the really depressing send off is that the five E party fades from existence once you've killed the time lich and healed the timeline because they no longer exist. Okay. Yeah, okay, I get that. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that works. So, okay, so, like, for any, for any good D&D campaign, obviously you need, you need not just one big bad, but you need a variety of big bads, right? You know, you need mini-bosses, you need, like, other sorts of, uh, like, other sorts of people to tackle. And I imagine that in the exact same way that you will have PCs of varying eras, you will also have, like, NPCs or mini-bosses or whatever of varying eras. Have you put any thought into, like, what those sorts of characters might look like? A little bit, like, so... So part of me kind of really likes like the 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 kind of cloud atlas kind of thoughts uh, you know aspect of it, which is you know like you know there's there's no real overarching villain in the cloud atlas, right? Like it's it's kind of like it kind of swaps, but there are like definitely parallels that kind of that you see uh, um, jump through the timeline. So um, I was thinking that like uh, essentially like so so I, I had a, a couple of thoughts, but I, I didn't really put a ton of thought into it, but. Um, the like one E or the, not the one E, the, the PF, uh, like sub boss essentially is a, um, like it, it turns out that like the guy that sent you into this dungeon is just kind of like a, a kind of like corrupt local, you know, Lord that like, you know, has sent you to do, to, to, to get this because he's actually the, the, the lich's henchman, but he doesn't understand what, 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 uh, what kind of like bullshit he's playing with and he figures if he can get this thing that the boss wants he can like um either curry favor or have something over on the boss or something like that um mm-hmm. 
but I, I didn't get much further than that. I do um, like that idea, though. Like, almost like, so, something I was thinking is, like, okay, you know how in WoW, right, the Raid Finder version of a fight is sort of its, like, most basic iteration? Then you have the normal raid, then you have the heroic raid, then you have the mythic raid, and they all kind of stack sort of, like, mechanics on top of one another, right? So, for, you know, like, Raid Finder Nazoth, you don't have to worry about getting sanity locked to one of the alternate dimensions. This isn't going to sound like gibberish, right? But, like, on Heroic Nazoth, you might have to worry about that sanity lock kind of effect. So you have to have both, you know, like, your whole raid go into, like, the alternate dimension sort of thing. I feel like that would be really interesting to do with the Lich. Like, you actually fight the Lich kind of at, you know, or at maybe a better a better analogy for this is, like, blue in, uh, in Pokemon Red, where you fight your rival and you see, you know, like, first you're fighting him... And you see his Squirtle, and you see his, you know, uh, Growlithe, and then you see his Squirtle and his Arcanine, and then you see his Squirtle, his Arcanine, his Alakazam. You know what I mean? Like, you were fighting him as he levels up over time. And you can do the same thing with the Lich, right? Like, at the end of the second book, there's a boss fight with the Lich, which establishes his basic mechanics. Then there's a fight with the Lich that establishes his, his mechanics, but there's, like, a twist on top of that. All the way up until the big final fight, where, like, you have sort of trained the player into... Um, kind of, like, engaging with the Lich in various situations. Because at first I was sort of thinking, like, well, what if the, the Lich is sort of the MacGuffin in a way? Like, the Lich you don't actually face until the very, very end. Um, and you are instead fighting cultists, henchmen, whatever, yeah. right? And you could be fighting the different versions of that. Um, but I actually do think that it would be cooler to confront the Lich over time, right? Um and and interact with it in in progressive sort of like you know uh, iterations. I, so I agree with you. It's just like I think like making it a lich makes it easier to kind of do the like well the, the villain's defeated but not really defeated type of deal, right? Because like I think I, I think the reason I want you know the the time lich thing is that like you can like you can go defeat the the lich in the earlier version. Like you can like kill him and win. Right, but like he reconstitutes in some other time, right? Yeah, which is no. I mean, that, that's exactly you. Like, you would have to kill the lich with each of the inter- intervening parties, right? If the lich gets off his super bad whatever it is, right, in Pathfinder time, then in you know whatever in Starfinder time, there is no Starfinder time because he's completely done whatever his bad thing is. So I like the idea that you have to defeat him in each of the individual except maybe the dd 5e right uh, but in like the sort of the three discrete time periods individually in order to like not defeat him unanimously but to like halt whatever his evil plan is right um like i think those temporary wins are important and like you know uh, it's just bread and butter for for you know like for D. okay so i i just okay so so, so a, a thing that that popped into my head um uh is that so like i was thinking about like what so um part of the thing i did think through is like why does this kind of like time mirror exist the tempest fugit um and i thought it was like well there like like maybe that there's like some like opposite to the time which that's been fighting him and he creates this this thing as a way to um to uh uh, to 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 defeat the lich like that's like his his purpose or whatever and like he's they've been battling through time and he's kind of like locked in the tempest fugit right um and part of the thing that i think that i really want to emphasize on this is that all of the characters are different right like and maybe they're related but they're like it's it's not like 
you know, um, your PF party and your Starfinder party are like, they're variations on the same kind of like icon, but they're not the same characters, right? It's, um, and I think that that's kind of important to the, to the core idea of the game. So I don't want the D&D okay. 5e characters to be the same characters even of the PF game. But the, yeah. w- the way I think you sell that is that when you do kind of like that third act fight, right? Um, which um, I think I'd want to be the uh, like all three parties like like you. This is where you see kind of like the you know the, the multi party fight. Like all three parties fight the lich, and then the lich, um, kind of uh, oh, is so. This is a separate thing to. I'll come back to this, but I want to bookmark how you deal with the party losing that third fight. Um, uh, but um, the uh, the the thing that happens is. Um, the Tempest Fugit, the guy who's, or the, the person who made the Tempest Fugit follows, you know, like, follows the, the Time Lich to, like, the, the reality arping thing. And, like, he basically spent, expends himself to tell the 5e party that, you know, what what's up and get them into the, uh, and get them, and essentially put them on the path, right? Give them a narrative justification for um, finding the, the other three parties, right? Because, like, um, some of that, like, just kind of works. Um, like, or rather, you don't have to do too much work because your party's the same group of players, but I think you do need a, a little bit of a narrative hook to tell that party why they need to be, what they need to be doing and why they're going and helping the other three parties. Does that make mm-hmm. sense? Um, yeah, I get that. I also, it is also kind of making me feel like maybe you can't do the progressive thing with the Lich in that sense. So, okay, so if each of the Lich fights build on one another, which I think would be cool, you're actually... That's a pretty tough ask because the lich fights are all happening in different systems. Do you know what right. I mean? Oh yeah. And then I think what I would rather, you know, like and like the context of the players is changing so much. I think what I'd rather do is have the lich fights be as samey as possible. You know what I mean? The difference in the lich fights is not the lich himself behaving differently. He is behaving the same with the same abilities every time, but you are tackling him with a radically different set of abilities. Do you know what I mean? Um, now that now that you lay it out like that, yeah, that just occurs. That's a side thought, though. No, I, I think that that makes sense. Um, uh, like I, I, I think you, I think you do want all the parties to grow in power, though. So I do think you need a little bit of that, and I think that the easiest way to do that is is, is essentially like, you know, the narrative justification is, um, the first like the PF party finds him like you know essentially the. When you find, you know, you find the Tempest Fugit, and maybe maybe you hold off on this reveal uh, past the end of session one, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, maybe you do a little bit more build up, and you're like, you know, oh, okay, um, you know, like you, you you're building to something, and then this is revealed, and then like m- maybe maybe the introduction of Party Two is actually like the end of Book One, but then you're still running them in parallel, um, and the, the you know the Tempest Fugit basically says, oh. The Lich is reforming. You need to go deal with him now. And maybe this is like a, like, you know, let's call it a level five party. And they go and they manage to knock down the Lich in his current form because he's still reconstituting. Um, but, the, you know, they can't, they can't end him, right? Like they can't, they can't break everything. Um, they're just doing it to kind of keep him from fully reforming and, you know, doing whatever, you know, you come up with some bad guy plot, right? Like I think that that's secondary to kind of these, these time mechanics, you know, yeah, he's, sure. he's going to end the world. Um, or something, and so if you you need to keep him reform it from reforming right now, um, uh, but the thing I I think I think you're absolutely right that kind of like the third the third act setback is important, but I, I want to know if you, if you've got a good idea for how to pull that off without it 
feeling like a uh, like a, a rug pull, if that makes sense, right? Like, um, uh, as I, I think it was the angry GM gave out this advice, like you can let the the bad guy get away with a bullshit reason exactly once before the players start to hate you for it, um, and mm-hmm. maybe that's where you cash in that chip. But I wonder if you've got a good way to to kind of make that happen without it feeling like you're you're kind of like essentially railroading the party out of it. I feel like you can create temporary wins for for players that sort of like off offset that, right? Like if I think if, if the players understand that defeating this is not the final. De- okay, let, let, let's imagine the time lich is at the top of his big spooky spire, right? And he's got the thing, and he's charging the thing, and if the thing goes off, he'll blow up the whole timeline. Everyone dies, sort of thing, right? Um, and he can remake time in his own image, maybe that sort of thing. Um, assume that you accurately represent the time lich to the players. Like they understand, they learned in the first session that there's another like time version party of themselves. They've been flopping back and forth or whatever. But like, if you communicate to the players that like, listen, we have to stop him from doing this thing. It's not going to kill him. We, we're still gonna have to deal with him later down the line, but it is a big deal to, you know, stop him charging the thing. They go up, they, they ascend the tower, they kick his butt. He gets, you know, yeeted through time, like samurai Jack or whatever. And they can decharge the thing that's going to destroy whatever and go seal it off in this tomb or whatever it is. Um, like that seems like a pretty, I, I, as a player, I don't think I would be that mad about that. Okay. Right. Because like the, the success or failure is not defined by killing the lich. It's defined by stopping the lich from doing the thing. Do you know I, what I mean? I, so I, I think I, I think I might have it, which is um, the, the big bad plot is that he's going to destroy the timeline and remake the world like he's gonna like remake reality in his own image with him as like the godhead at the top of it um and he's you know he's he's charging the time crystal or something right like he's like you said and in the fight he has like you beating on him so severely makes him activate it early which is the event that triggers the 5e um conversion right because that's him him remaking the world but he's not he's not the god in it because he couldn't he he didn't didn't finish yeah okay that's clever i like that a lot <laughs> i think that's pretty sweet yeah and then and th- that you know that's what, what what caused it and because he isn't able to do it completely that's why you know there's the, the the party still has the opportunity um and it doesn't destroy like that's probably the the, the big thing right like is he's he's um like the i'd have to think through the, the or we, we, we'd have to think through the full implication but maybe like you know there's not like a strong kind of pantheon or like maybe he's like a, one of of several gods in this timeline um but he hasn't like you know he not charging it fully just kind of like created like this like splinter reality um it didn't destroy the original ones um and that's uh you know you know it's kind of like fuck it this is good you know the end of the fight is like fuck it this this will work well enough right and maybe that's the reveal is like you know you don't think he can he can fire it or um no one think he doesn't even maybe think he can fire it, but he's like well i've got to fire it now and that's and he fires it like yeah, the- and so he's trying again in this sort of like alternate remade timeline, and that's the thing that you need to restore. Like that's how you are going through and restoring each of the individual parties. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I think that's that's honestly perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, that's sweet. Yeah. That's fucking sweet. <laughs> how do you feel about the different systems interfacing with one another? So, for instance, um, Shadowrun is a much more lethal system than than something like Pathfinder, where you get big, big hit points, right? 
Um, in Shadowrun, you don't get big, big hit points. You have a preset amount of wounds in the same way that, like, you know, Star Wars or some of these other sorts of systems uh, kind of uh, kind of behave. Uh, do you feel like there's any kind of, like, dissonance that you need to resolve between the systems on a mechanical level in order to have things feel right? Like, wouldn't it be weird if I'm playing... Okay, so let's... I'm playing the Pathfinder group, and they're at level 6, and they fight the Lich, and the Lich does an ability that does 30 damage to them, right? Then, they fight the Starfinder group, and that that same ability, he uses it, it does 60 damage to them. Then, the, the Shadowrun group fights the Lich, and he uses that ability, and it does 10 damage. Do you think that that would feel weird or jarring for players? Do you think they would be, like, you, we would just suck it up kind of thing? So, I think the way you do that is you have the Lich, like, kind of, in some ways acclimate to his 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 like the the current thing he's in right like i'm imagining him as like like the head of a corp in uh in the oh, shadowrun setting interesting. Okay, right yeah. so like you know and he's got like he's got like the shadowrun magic but he's not quite the same you know he's like you know he's through the mirror as much as anybody else uh, um you know that's like kind of like the yeah. the deal of the magic um okay that's actually super sweet in fact i something i think it would be okay this is maybe the coolest piece of it where imagine you fight the lich in pathfinder times you fight the lich again in starfinder times right but in Shadowrun times you actually don't know what the lich looks like you have to you have to deduce and solve the mystery who in this timeline is the lich because he's not using his you know like he's, he's he's not like a big skelly boy running around he is you know in a business suit somewhere, right? Um, I think that would be really sweet, yeah. right? And it kind of flavors, like, you know, uh, it, it kind of flavors the Shadowrun thing a little bit differently just from a narrative perspective. So you're not necessarily doing the same kind of, like, fantasy blast them up, but, like, now it's, like, a whodunit kind of thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, I think that's that's actually, that's the right way to do it. That's that's excellent. Um, that's smart. <laughs> um, this really makes me want to play this campaign, Mega. <laughs> Um, except you, except you know all the big twists ahead of time. Um, uh, I know, I know, I know. That's true. We're we're like establishing all this super cool shit, and then uh, honestly, listen, we're doing it for you, loyal listeners, right? Like you guys get to now, like write, like write that down, like oh, that is really neat, and then run it for all of your friends, but they don't know what's coming, you know, like. Uh, so, uh, so, so the the other thing that, that occurs to me, and I think this is another big one to solve, is like how do you deal, like so. A big part of this is obviously, you know, characters connected through time. Um, uh, how do you deal with like like campaign lethality, right? Like, like what happens if one of the characters dies? Um, how, how how do you think you? What's the right way to deal with that? Wow, that's a really interesting question, actually. Boy, that is tough. I don't have a great answer for that. On one hand, I I sort of want to. You know, like when people when, when when characters die in campaigns, which I think is cool. You know, like like it, ma- it makes for good memorable moments sometimes, right? When characters die in campaigns, I don't think I would want to s- create a new character in Pathfinder, but then be playing my old version in Starfinder. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like I would want to be playing the same character kind of like across the timelines. So in a certain sense, if my character were to die, I would sort of want it to ripple through time and get rid of all of those versions of that character so that I can reintroduce a new version. But that seems very cumbersome, right? And unintuitive, right? So maybe maybe it makes sense in the Pathfinder version. Because like if the Pathfinder version dies, maybe he doesn't 
beget offspring or something to kind of like reincarnate himself way down the line sort of thing or like you could make that kind of an argument um right but like if my starfinder version dies there isn't a great reason for it to go back in time to pathfinder and wipe my pathfinder version right you know what i mean yeah i mean so you could make that kind of like uh like a what's it called a like an effect of the tempest fugit if you really wanted to right like and you just make that up front right like you know you know you're all linked by fate and if one of you perishes so shall the rest of you um although i don't know if i want um if i like so i i I want the ability for like these like kind of like I, i don't know if i want them actually tied like that i think that I think that, like, again, part of this, like, Cloud Atlas theme, right, is, like, so long as, like, you're not somebody's kid, right? Like, you have to be, like, like doing a direct line would be tough if somebody died, right? Um, and maybe, like, you know, maybe you, like, like, leave this as an option to the player, right? But, like, um, I think you want, like, you know, you know, you know, your character still lived. He still, like, planted the seed of an idea and he still affected the future, right? Like, you know that doesn't kill, you know, your, 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 the, the future people. That's just like a thing that, you know, it's a tragedy you all have to deal with in character. Um, I just think like, I think maybe that's just kind of like, like the, 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 the direct character connections dies on the altar of um, like at that point dies on the altar of like that character has to be replaced with somebody who makes sense in lore, but isn't quite, isn't quite right. Right. Like, um, although I think, I think playing the game gives you opportunities to, um, kind of like create different characters that are like tied in different ways, right? Like so. So think about it this way, right? Like, um, uh, you know, there are always NPCs in the campaign, right? Like, it, this isn't going to be in a vacuum, right? So, like, if your character okay. dies, you need to pick a way that he's connected to the timeline somehow, right? Like, maybe he's the descendant of like you know the shopkeeper that like helped you out early in the, in the book. Right. Or he's like the, the precursor to somebody in the future timeline, you know, like, like some, some dude you hooked up, like you, you, uh, you ran a mission with, uh, in, in like the shadow run version, right? Like, like, you know, your, your pathfinder person dies and like, you know, um, turns out that like the bar that joins the party, he's actually the, the, the ancestor of the Johnson that you're dealing with in the shadow run universe or something like that. I think, yeah. I think if you kind of like, if, as long as there's enough like narrative build, around um around the different stories allowing people to tap into that into the timeline in that way i think we'll make it work does that make sense Mm -hmm. i see i see exactly what you mean yeah that is honestly really interesting and i'm yeah i think i'm on board for that i i i I feel like I, i i think part of the answer here too is that like Maybe you just like you just ha- don't happen to die. Like I-, I find that at least in the games that I've played, like dying in a campaign happens, but it's not like so super frequently that it's like that you like I I think you can wiggle with this because it's not like your whole party's going to cycle out. If that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I also feel like in the moment, good answers tend to present themselves well, right? right. Like you yeah. know, maybe you got connected to an NPC earlier. Like, the way that Phelanor in our Star Wars game is really connected to that one, you know, like, he just has a lot of empathy for the one uh, girl student who got kidnapped and then decided to join the Black Sun after. Um, 
you know, like maybe you you just that is the that's the template that you got. You just say figure you know, like figure it out who do you want to play, and they go, oh, I want to play that you know like that person their descendant, right? Like I think you 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 you'll be able to find those options very easily right. in a campaign. Um, which probably is why it makes it kind of like the strongest option. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely right. Like, you know, like, yeah, he, here's, here's this, yeah, yeah, run with the ideas and, and, you know, essentially, especially having like the timeline stuff, right? Like, um, if you're pulling from a different timeline or whatever, right? Like then you, you you've got a lot of flexibility there, right? Like it's, it's like part of the problems with, with those kinds of setups sometimes is that like, you know, well, well, I didn't actually want to play that character, but like if you're playing his son or, you know, or not his son, but you know, like his descendant, his ancestor or somebody who's tied to him in some kind of like tangential way, right? Like the, you know, the current, um, the, like a current member of the guild that he founded or whatever that's, that's iterated down. Like it gives you a lot of flexibility to build the character you want, um, well, having those thematic connections without being mechanically limited, which is, I think, one of the the, the, the tougher parts. Also, you're thematic; you're only thematically linked, right? Like, um, if you're not picking up the exact character, you don't even you don't even have to be exactly like that character, right? You could be like that spin on it, which is kind of what I'm going for this thing anyway, right? Like, you know, like you know, this is like this but remixed a little bit, um, which is so. I, I think that that would work out. Yeah, um, I'm satisfied with that. Um, huh. What other do you do you have do you have any other ideas in here or any other things that that that, you've, that that popped up in your head while we've been talking about it? Uh, you know, man, I guess uh, I have been thinking a little around, um, like, okay, if you were to be a PC for this kind of game, what do you think you would want to like do? Would do you have an, do you have an idea for what like a cool character archetype might be? Um, so I, I would, I, I, so I, I think the answer is, uh, it's probably like log. Um, uh, for those of you at home, did you ever play a game that log was in buddy? Were you, were you... Uh, I do know log, but I never played a game with log. Okay. I like, know log very well, actually. Yeah. Oh no, wait, 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 wait. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was the, I for, for started the 4E. log. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Cause he was in the 4E game. I was thinking of the Mark game. Yeah. With could... log, which I obviously knew. Yeah, yeah. There were there's been a couple different logs, but like I th- I feel like that's kind of a, like that that's like the one the character that most fits this for me because not only are they like similar but like they are similar but also very different, right? Like log the the Kaipili monk is much different than log the warden, but they've got like enough kind of like themes that that connect them that it makes sense. Um, I feel like wooden wanderer also is kind of part of this like gestalt. Um, what about you? Who would who would you want to play? You know, uh, the easy answer for me is is like Tonric because he is in kind of everything. But I do think that I would want to play someone who mixes up between worlds in a way. Like, so for instance, another archetype I have is Gonder, right? The old man who's typically like a, a warlock or a sorcerer, either born with or bargaining for, um, you know, like power at a young age. But like when when I play him, he is old. Um, I think that would be really neat because the, each of the different systems has a different sort of like magic system. Um, and also the nature of Gondor's power isn't necessarily, um, it's like something that you could imagine going uh, a different way. So for instance, maybe in, maybe in, 
in the D&D 5e party and in Pathfinder, right? Like, he's a warlock, he's a sorcerer, whatever sort of thing. Um, but, like, in Shadowrun, I don't think it would be crazy for Gunder to be, you know, just, uh, uh, like, uh, what, are the, what are the hacker guys called again? They're not slicers. I keep, I want to uh, say slicers. Are they netrunners? Um, is that... Are they netrunners? But, or, yeah, but, because, like, part of Gunder's thing is that, like, you know, he opts into power, uh, like, as a character trait, right? Like, he opts into power. So the the idea that that power in Starfinder might just be guns, and he's a mechanic, or whatever, or that power in, you know, uh, Shadowrun is uh, the net, whatever the, whatever the internet thing is called that I can't remember. Um, the Hollow Net, maybe? No, that's Star Wars. Man, I yeah. keep thinking... Although, I, f- I feel like if you're opting into power, you're probably, like, one of the, the shamans, right? Because they, like call on the uh... oh yeah yeah that's yeah that would make sense i mean but that's kind of like that's kind of the thing it, it, whereas somebody like tonric is a melee you know like he's like a melee fighter kind of in every iteration um which is uh like it's thematic obviously um but also like a little boring in, in comparison to someone who kind of has like a radically different play style depending on what era yeah. he is in i, I think I think I think this also works much better for groups that like have been playing together for a while because I think that you know you could pull off playing Tonric and then playing Gondar and then you you figure out how they're tied but like oh, we yeah, know yeah. because you're running the character right that that you know that that you know that, that that's a, a tie there right like you know like I could mm. probably do like um uh, I could like I could do uh you know wouldn't wander into Octavian. And have it work as long as I kind of like built like did the work there. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's I think that's part of the part of what I envision for this. Is this this has got to be like this is like I, I think the real goal of this game is you know you're playing this game and you know as exemplified with this that that kind of like final thing I was telling you about where like you know you're playing yourself. It's like this is a game about playing you know your your kind of. Uh, What's how do I want to put this? Your your kind of uh, ticks maybe your your kind of your your identity as a player and how that reflects out through your characters. Yeah. Um, and if you're doing it with a group that you know, um, and a group where everybody kind of knows those those kind of like bits about you, right? Like the um, uh, then you this game works a lot better, I think. Um, uh, without having to be as or not necessarily better, but like it, it lets you play the game without having to be as kind of like hit you over the head with it as uh, uh, you, you are otherwise with it, if that makes sense. Um, or, or hit you over the head with the similarities in the, in the, in the, in the, the connections, right? Like, um, uh, but uh, yeah, um, that's that. So like, I, I uh, this is literally, this campaign idea was literally a shower thought, right? I was like, huh, you know, how do we uh, ha- like, the, the the thing we do where we all have this you know different characters that are kind of like reflected through the through, through the mirror um, is cool. I wonder if I could campaignize that. And I, I like this is this is what I came up with. Thanks for uh, for running through it with me. Do you have do you have like I know I know we're a little bit short of our of, of our hour, but uh, it seems like we're at about the right point for ending it. Unless you had anything no, else you yeah, want to talk about. No, yeah, that's fine with me. This has been a very cool campaign pitch. Me, it's maybe the coolest one that we've ever done actually. So I really hope uh, all the listeners out there think about it and be like, oh yeah. Let's let's run it. You you definitely should run it for someone who doesn't know all of the plot, like the plot beats, obviously. But yeah. What a what a sweet skeleton to kind of like hang it hang a sword yeah. off of. This would also be like a thing where like you know, like 
at some point, like, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, you, you run, like, if, if, if I were going to try and run this and get you into it, cause like, you know, um, the way I do it maybe is like run that first book and then have you come in with the second book and be like, look, he already knew about that twist. Um, uh, so I didn't want to, or, you know, and obviously, you know, you know more of the twist, but I, or, you know, I mean, to be honest, maybe we would be able to just like run it with our party and they could listen to this whole episode end over end and it, you know, like I do, I, I would make the case that that would be fun. You know what I mean? It'd like, be fun. But... In the same way that like you can get spoiled for something and still enjoy your time watching a movie. So I, I agree with you, but I think I think that like a big part of like the like a big part of the joy is in the reveal, right? Like I think yeah. I think you at least want I think you want some of the part. So I think you could get the satisfaction since you've helped me work through this of like when the reveal happens, right? Like every like you know seeing everybody else like appreciate you'd be like ha I helped I helped Mango set that up and I think that that would work well enough. But I think like you know. You know, if this is the one episode that all the people that we play with happens to listen to, then, uh, you know, I think I think it sinks it. But uh, I, you know, not even our friends listen to this podcast that often. So uh, I think I think we're just <laughs> um, but uh, uh, jabs at ourselves aside. Uh, how is how is your week? Well, my week included some very disappointing news. Shadowlands has been delayed. Rip to my intent impending vacation that i was planning on taking in like two or three weeks or whatever um yeah so shadowlands has been delayed uh this is actually a good thing that the community seems to be very happy about part of it is just that everyone hates wow right now and so um people have been saying they need to delay shadowlands for a bit and they're actually doing it which is which kind of looks like blizzard sort of agreeing to the to the requests i think that people who really wanted shadowlands to be delayed will probably end up being disappointed because of i don't know just like what what anyone would normally expect like we we had talked about the ripcord yeah no I'm, as as a as a concept obviously um yeah I, and I there are folks no i, I was gonna wait, say I, I i so the way i found out about this was uh it, it made the front page of reddit right so like i hit the button i was like are they are they like i fully expected the post to be like we're pulling the ripcord or you know whatever that was and it, it wasn't but like you know I, I expect that's what a lot of people are are hoping for this right it's like they will see the error of their ways and like change the problem or whatever right yeah no they are 100 percent not pulling the ripcord uh they have actually just announced that they have started working on uh balance for the for the artifact and like tuning for the artifacts or not the artifact for the covenant abilities which is kind of funny because like they so in the ripcord drama, right? What basically happened is everyone was like, "This is this is bad," right? Then Blizzard announced, "Hey guys, listen, we're gonna be, you know, like there, there's a lot of systems here, right? We want you to test all of them as a unit uh, and and see where it is, and then and then we're gonna like iterate on this and do some real tuning kind of later down the line." Then uh, Ian, who is the game director, went on. Um, Basically, the sort of founder of the Pull the Ripcord movement is a mythic raider named Preach. He's, like, a big YouTube creator. Uh, not really the biggest, but just, like, the, one, one of the most, like, cutting-edge kind of guys. Um, uh, he went, Ian went on Preach's stream and talked about pulling the Ripcord if they had to, right? Um, then, later down the line, they said, we're not pulling the Ripcord. And then, last week, they said, we have started tuning Covenant abilities, right? Like, the tuning has, is, is happening now um so that is what i think that they are is 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 the source of the delay um 
that they need time to just get the tuning correct for the covenant abilities so that they they're just like isn't that like super mathematically correct one um right off the bat uh there's actually another system in here and this is a system that i have had you know like i am relatively speaking when it comes to wow like an apologist right like i think bfa was a good expansion which where most people think it was garbage i will stick up for certain aspects of the game that people typically hate i really enjoy titan forging because I don't like walking into a raid knowing that there's nothing in that raid for me, right? That nothing could possibly drop that would be useful to me. Um, uh, I, I'm a person who likes the corruption effects a lot, right? Like, I think it's it's good to have things in the game that reward me for being dedicated to it and putting the time and effort into the game, and I get a lot of power out of that. That makes a lot of sense to me, right? But these are things that, like, these are opinions that if I put them on the WoW subreddit, people would, like, downvote the shit out of them kind of thing. Um, but something that I am not on Blizzard's side about is conduits, which are which is another piece of Shadowlands, right? So uh, there's uh, with your covenant, there's what's called a soulbind, which is sort of a a talent tree. But in the talent tree, there are little holes, and in those holes, you can put in a conduit. A conduit is an item, like a relic, sort of from Legion. Uh, and that item has a mechanical effect. So, for instance, an arms warrior conduit might say, your overpower has a 6% chance to apply the Colossus Smash effect for three seconds, right? So, you know, as you're overpowering, you go, boop, oh, here's Colossus Smash. And then you get a, Coloss a little Colossus Smash window in there for you sort of thing, right? Um, the conduits have item levels, right? They are They are items that drop off bosses, right? Um, and you slot the, you can slot in a higher item level conduit. So I might do a normal dungeon, get the conduit off of that, then do a mythic version of that dungeon and get the mythic version of that conduit. The mythic version of that conduit numerically is going to change one number. Um, there's always a number that's tied to this and the number is kind of like different for each one because they're all like specific mechanical effects. But so for that overpower example, um, it might change the proc chance from 6% to 9% right or and uh, and up and up and up right so you can get conduits that are like you know better that do the same thing just like better more frequently more damage that kind of a thing um at first conduits were kind of like gems when you slotted in a new conduit the old one was destroyed this was a garbage terrible system that sucked because it kind of meant that you could never experiment with things right um with like with gems First of all, gems, you can just buy them off the auction house for like 100 gold, right? So it's not the end of the world to, you know, if you want to try a crypt build and it doesn't work out and you want to swap back to haste, that's fine. It's like a couple, you know, like thousand gold. If you delete an item that dropped off of a boss, well, that's, a, that's like tough titties, right? It also kind of means that like, okay, let's say I do a bunch of mythic plus and I get my mythic plus chest at the end of the week. And out of that chest, I get a really high level conduit. Well, now that conduit is sort of, like, locked. Am I ever going to replace that conduit with a lower-level conduit? Well, no. But, like, what if I want to respect my talent, right? Well, now that conduit's, like, fucking, you know, like, that sucks or whatever. So what they did was, so the, and this is the first iteration of changes, they changed conduits to be a library system, sort of like appearances or, like, mounts or something like that. Once you earn a conduit, you have earned that conduit, and you can always swap back to it at, you know, like, at any individual moment. And that conduit is going to grow higher and higher in terms of, like, item level. So if you get a high level conduit it's going to replace the low level conduit kind of definitionally right um but they didn't want 
the player to be able to change conduits and in a rest area, which is sort of how talents work right now, right? In a rest area right now, I can change my talent build completely, right? All I got to do is just hit, hit, hit a couple of buttons, right? I can use Tomes of Clear Mind, for instance, uh, to activate that same sort of effect, right? Um, if conduits worked that way the danger from blizzard's perspective is that it will create an environment where before every single boss fight people are rebuilding their entire character from the ground up right on a cleave fight they have the cleave build they slot in new conduits they 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 pop this they pop that they they change all their talents around or whatever and then now they're doing the cleave fight and then the next fight's an aoe fight okay cool let me pop 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 up all my conduits out and you and like between every single fight you're like rebuilding your character blizzard doesn't want you to do that um so their first fix for this, which was horrendously bad, was <laughs> you can't change your you can change your conduit once per weekly reset, and that's it, right? <laughs> so if you are running a raid, oh cool, a new conduit drops. It is higher eye level than my current conduit. I don't have time to like run a sim or whatever and see if this new conduit is higher DPS than my old conduit. I'm just going to ballpark it and say that my eye level is, is higher, therefore it's fine. You pop in the new conduit, right? Then on the next boss after that, you get a higher level version of the conduit that you know is is definitely better and it's like well i gotta wait six fucking days to equip this like that sucks you know um and, and it's obviously super unfun uh so blizzard agreed and they have finally iterated on a new system for it which is that basically every day you accumulate uh like a, an instance like a charge sort of thing um or like a stack of being able to change your conduit right um and it'll cap out at 10 and if you want to swap your conduits around you can but like each time you swap you lose a you like you lose a stack sort of thing right uh which basically just means that like you have to uh you have to semi-commit and you can't do the change on every single build but you have a little bit of leeway right uh especially if you get something new and you want to test it out you, you have a real opportunity to kind of experiment there um this has gone over pretty well though folks i think misunderstand the kind of like game design principle behind it there are a lot of people who just say well just let me rebuild my whole fucking character between every fight that's that's what good players do i want to be good players therefore that that's how it should work but i think that there are uh i don't know bad knock-on effects that that come out of that um which are very harmful for the game and and not good overall i don't know do you have any thoughts about any of this Has, yeah this all so so, so like my, my thought my immediate thought is like to go back to what i see is like the the kind of like quasi legitimate complaint with the covenants is that like if you can switch every fight right like that lets groups be like well if you don't have the right conduit like if you don't have all the right conduits i'm going to reject you out of hand whereas like if you have one of the right conduits right for one of the fights like okay well that works well enough um, 10 charges seems like a lot like that seems like uh in terms of like preventing this problem from happening it seems like you could you could get some of those knock-on effects with 10 charges um but i you know I, I see why it would suck to kind of uh uh to kind of have that happen right like if, if so like i'm i i obviously i haven't like simmered in this problem um my thought was that like you know, at least when I, when I was trying to game out how you would solve this before you explain what their solution was, I'd say something like, you know, like if one drops, you get a charge and then like, that's, 
That's and that's, that is true. You do get a charge when one drops. Okay, so you do. So like ten, ten. Yeah, there's like there, it's like you start with ten, right? Then every time you change a conduit, you lose one. Then if one drops, you gain a charge. Um, and that might be it. Okay, and how many? That might be how, how many. And then you get one every day. And how many conduits are there? Like how many? How, oh, a bunch. So that like your your tree might have spaces for three to six conduits, right? Okay. So if you if you are doing a rebuild, you're going to change a bunch of conduits. You're going to change, like, six conduits and use six charges sort of thing. Okay. So it would be very hard to do a full rebuild and go back inside of a single day kind of thing. Okay. Okay, okay. That makes it that makes it much more... much. That makes a lot more sense to me, right? Like, for... Because I, I hadn't realized that I thought, like, well, ten for switching out one seems like a lot, but if you're, if you're burning a bunch of charges in... In a, in a setting, then yeah, okay, that makes sense to me. Yeah, all right. There's also different good. kinds of conduits. There's uh, there are throughput conduits. They're called potency conduits, which like increase your damage, right? So that overpower one, which would would increase an arms warrior's damage. That's a potency conduit. There are defensive, or I think they're called endurance conduits, which just like, you know, when I use rallying cry to give everybody a big max health buff, that buff lasts longer or grants more health or something like that. Um, and then there are finesse conduits, I think is what they're called, which is stuff like the cooldown on charge is reduced. You know, like something that helps your kind of overall utility without necessarily helping you deal more or take less damage, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I, absolutely, absolutely. And, uh, okay, so that, that makes sense. I see, I see. Yeah, do you know what? You know what? We, listen, we have time. Let's go into this. Uh, I do want to respond in a certain sense to this idea because I think it is unintuitive a little bit, um, but an important piece of game design that that like being locked to conduits is a, a big deal. I feel like what WoW is trying to do is cr- is is crunch down the all-around build, right? And I had this sort of realization when I was thinking about Classic, because in Classic, first of all, there are respecking costs gold, costs a lot of gold, and that gold goes up over time, right? Um, and there are um, not great ways to rebuild your character. You're pretty stuck, right, when you go into, when you, when you go into Classic for what your, you know, your build is, right? If you are an arms warrior, you are doing just radically different things than if you are a prot warrior. And I'm sure that if, like, you could just respec for nothing, that classic warriors would be respecking, you know, based on based on the fight, right? Like, imagine you could just, like, respec um, with, a, with a Tome of Clear Mind, but in, in sort of classic, you just, like, rebuild your whole kind of character. But what happens is, in practicality, is you build these all-around builds, right? You don't build what is specifically good. You build what is, generally speaking, okay for everything, right? Um, which might mean that on certain bosses, you're a little bit worse. You, te- you tend to be, like, a little bit worse than optimal on everything. Like, let's say, 5 to 10% worse than optimal on everything. But you don't have any big peaks or troughs, right? right. You, you say, I'm going to make sure that I'm basically competent in everything that I'm doing rather than specifically, like, hyper, hyper-focused, right? And I feel like they're trying to create with covenant abilities um, and with this, like, conduit stuff. Um, they're trying to, like, create those all-around builds, trying to drive the average player to sort of just compromise and say, you know what? Listen, 
my covenant ability is really good in single target i'm gonna slot a couple aoe conduits in there just so i'm not a huge drag in that aoe fight right or i might swap in a couple of like cleave conduits or whatever which i think is very good game design because what it allows blizzard to do is balance for that overall build right and allow for the spikes where you need them right like imagine that you and i are progressing and we're in heroic whatever and we're on a fight and the fight we have everything else on farm but but this one fight that we're on is very tough well now i have the option to be like you know what the next week we come into this i am going to change my build to be tailored to this this prog fight that we're on and be as good as i possibly can on this fight even if i'm a little bit worse on the fights that we've already like downed right um and then that'll give me a greater chance of defeating like the that that specific boss kind of thing i feel like allowing for that sort of gameplay is sort of the the sweet spot because you don't want people to be completely homogenous right like you don't want balance to be just so that everyone is doing the exact same at all times you want people to have moments where they're like oh i'm looking forward to this fight because my class my build performs really well on this sort of fight right and you also want to give folks an opportunity for, like, if something is hard and challenging, they can make active decisions with their agency in order to overcome that challenge, right? Um, and uh, and kind of, like, push above and beyond by being smart tactically about the way that they are, like, putting their, their, their sort of build together. Which is sort of why I think the fundamentals of these ideas are good, uh, even if it is sort of, like, annoying people. Do you, do, how, how do you feel about all of that? philosophy i guess no that, that that makes sense um and i think that kind of like the i, I see why it's, it's now important that like you can't change it on a dime because you could change it on a dime then like you you were just like making you're just making narrow builds narrower right like yeah and um, you and then all of a sudden you have to balance around yeah um yeah, that, yeah you, you you had to balance around everyone being super optimized at all times yeah that that um and that probably exacerbates the covenant problem right because like if you're if your covenant abilities are are um, are what are are, are uh, essentially in the same vein as your as your conduits, then if there is a difference in power between the covenant abilities, it, it heightens that right. Like you know, mm-hmm. um, whereas if if you're if they're balancing against them, right, to like kind of like shore up weaknesses rather than enhance uh, peaks, um, then I think you like 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 you said, I think it kind of makes it a little bit less likely that anything will be so out of control that you feel like you have to pick the one ability, right? Like, um, and also easier to adjust, um, uh, cause they, I assume the conduits are per class, really, or like, they're not like, it's not like, uh, yeah. So there are different conduits for classes in general. Like some of them will be class wide. Some of them will be spec specific. Obviously arms has overpower. Fury doesn't. So Fury can't use the arms covenant sort of thing or a conduit rather. Um, and then also, uh, certain conduits are covenant ability conduits. So, um, one of the conduits might say your covenant ability does this, this thing differently. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, so that's how it works. And your, and your covenant ability are, are class tied, right? Uh, yes. The, 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 the covenant ability is for the whole class. Um, but it has functionality depending on what spec you are. So, for instance, you know, 
Condemn, which is one of the Warrior Covenant abilities, which replaces Execute. For a Prot Warrior, having something that is a more powerful Execute isn't that, isn't that useful, but Condemn also makes the target deal less damage to you, so it's actually a survivability tool okay. for a Prot Warrior. Okay, that makes sense. Huh, I wonder, I wonder if one of the knock-on effects here is like making certain specs less less great because their Covenants don't drive with them well. Like, you're just like a second-order thing. Um that's like yeah no there are certain covenant abilities that behave differently per spec so for instance they just did a tuning pass on the warrior ones i know all the warrior ones because i'm keeping track of obviously warrior stuff um the the warrior con the, the condemn uh is worse for fury now than it is for arms it used to be it was just the same across the board but then they realized that it was a little too good for fury and not good enough for arms because of the different ways that fury and arms each use execute um and so they buffed the fury ver or the arms version and nerfed the fury version sort of to you know make it more equivalent okay Cool, but yeah, no. It's it sounds like it sounds like it's an interesting balancing act, um, and I'm sure a lot of people will be very mad about it, regardless of what happens. Uh, oh yeah, I'm. I'm. I, the thing I think I'm most interested in is like kind of what my builds look like, agnostic of what are the best ones, which sort of sucks a little bit because there's also legendaries to uh, to like consider, and legendaries are a big. I, I think the legendary system is great and really interesting, and probably the system of these you know things that i'm like kind of like most on board for uh but it does require pretty hefty investment which is which is a little bit tougher um with the legendaries you get a weekly kind of currency by doing torghast runs uh in like the roguelike mode for torghast um you'll get a certain amount of soul ash right and then you can use soul ash to craft legendaries uh, but, like, the upgrade pattern of Legendaries requires quite a bit of Soul Ash. It's, like, it's 400 Soul Ash to uh, get a max level Legendary. Um, and the tough thing about that is that, like, you get... So, if you complete Torghast every week at the highest possible difficulty, you get 100 Soul Ash a week, right? And that's at the highest possible difficulty, which is not something that's probably going to be attainable in the first couple of weeks. So, it's probably going to be, like five six seven weeks before people max out their uh their like first legendary or whatever so i feel like there's going to be a lot of pressure um on players to sort of quote unquote choose the right one right off the bat because like you know three months from now from shadow shadowlands launch yeah i might have two or three legendaries that are each you know leveled in parallel and, and upgraded in parallel with one another um but right off the bat i'm probably going to have just one legendary and so like if you're someone like me like i spend a lot of the game in prot when it comes to group content but in the open world i'm armed it's like do i do i pick up an a legendary for prot because i want to do you know because for raiding or whatever right um i need i need a tanky legendary um, or do I use a legendary for uh, for arms because that in the world I'm gonna want you know whatever that legendary's effect is to pop up? Yeah, okay, that makes sense. That makes that makes sense. It's kind of like a a tough decision point. Um, they're cra you said they're crafted. They crafted by like the the profession classes. Uh, yeah, actually, which is one of the cool it was one of the cool features of it. Okay, so this is the way it works. Um, if you are a profession, right? So let's say you're a blacksmith, you're a jewel crafter, you are a uh, 
a tailor or whatever, you craft a base item and then that item has to get enchanted by an enchanter, right? Um, the base item is only good for the base legendary. So you need to upgrade that base item if you want the upgraded legendary versions of uh, that that item. Do you know what I mean? So like at rank one, if you craft if you craft like the rank one legendary base item, like as a blacksmith or whatever, right? Ten times you unlock the rank two version, and then you craft that ten times, you unlock the rank three version, sort of thing. And each one of those is unique to a slot. Right, and certain legendary effects can only go on like certain slots or whatever. So it's like a very deep system for if you are a crafter and want, and and all this stuff gets sold on the auction house, right? If you are a crafter and you want to make a lot of money, well, all you need to do is get very good at crafting the legendary base components because people are always going to be needing them to make them and upgrade them and all that and all that stuff. Um, Okay, and I think that that's super fucking sweet. Okay, so you combine the different base components together to get the different slotted stuff. Is that right? Uh, I'm sorry. What do you mean? So, so like, what, so let, let's say I'm a blacksmith. What, 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 what? Do you like make a specific legendary, or do you like make like? Okay, so I'm a blacksmith. I make a helm of the damned, or whatever it's called. Right? It is a headpiece plate, and then it gets enchanted, and then I take that that enchanted headpiece, and I take it to the, this guy is called the rune carver, but you know, mostly he. he this is the guy who forged Frostmorn, right? Okay. Um, and you'd free him or whatever, and then you can go to him and he'll craft legendary items for you, right? I, I give him this helm. Then I give him two pieces of paper, like one which is called the Missive of Haste, and then another is like a Missive of Mastery because I want Haste Mastery on my legendary. So I give him the helm, and, and, and by the way, that's created by scribes. Um, I give him the helm, and I give him the two pieces of paper, and I tell him, make my legendary with this legendary effect that I want. And the legendary effect that I want is this overpower legendary or whatever. And he goes, okie dokie. And he goes, ting, tonk. And then he pops up and here's my helm. And I put my helm on and I now have my legendary, right? So in order to get that legendary, I had to get a blacksmith, an enchanter, and, an, and a scribe to all give me items or I bought them off the auction house or whatever to combine them all into the legendary. And, the, and then the legendary powers themselves come from different locations, right? Um, so legendary powers will drop off of bosses and raids. Uh, they will drop out of Torghast. They will come off of vendors, right? Like reputation vendors or whatever. And once you have earned them, they are account-wide. So, um, you know, you will have a couple of different legendary you know, like you'll have a couple of different like legendary options. Um, but if you want to chase something, I can say, Ooh, I really need to go do this thing to get the recipe to build my legendary. Does it make sense? Yeah. Okay. Makes, makes, makes sense to me. Um, and then just for my own personal curiosity, um, do engineers have a legendary? And if they do, what is it? I think not offhand. I, so the, the, the big thing that engineers have, there's a bunch of, you know, obviously, like, there's a bunch of utility or whatever. But the big things that legend engineers got in BFA that made them valuable is they got a battle res. Um, so if you are oh, an okay. engineer, you uh, you can battle res people. Um, okay. Engineering, engineering is a very weird profession. Yeah, I, I have, like, very been. complicated thoughts about WoW professions. But, yeah, engineering is a very weird one. <laughs> I mean, engineering is always weird. It's always been kind of, like, the one where you're probably not going to make money but it's also the fun one right like it's the one where like you, know, yeah. you get the helicopter um you know that, that kind of <laughs> well thing. yeah well something that was interesting about bfa that i liked was the engineers got goggles you know so like so blacksmiths could create 
belts and pants for themselves up to mythic level. Uh, same thing with leather workers, same thing with, you know, tailors or whatever. So if I, you know, like, if I am a heroic raider, I can get mythic level gear with my specific legend, you know, like, or my spe specific, um, uh, not legendaries, um, secondary stats. Uh, by like by putting the work into crafting them, and I think that that's like very cool. And engineers could do the same thing with their headpiece. Um, but like, yeah, the main utility that you get as an engineer in kind of like the wider WoW world at this point is um, uh, battle resses. Oh, and also some weapon enchants actually also came from engineers. Oh right, because they had, they had like the wait no they had like scopes and shit and like ammo. Right, right. I mean, I mean, back in the day, they also had like cogs which were like a special type of gem or something at some point right um, oh yeah 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 yeah. i remember that yeah yeah it's, it's been a engineers are weird as you said um always kind of have been but um uh we're reaching the end of the episode so i do want to touch on something that i did this week which was uh play okay, tell I, me all about it i started to play uh factorio uh, I just dip, dipped my toes in. Uh, you saw me playing it. You backseat gave me for a little bit, which you know. I'm so sorry. Hey, no need to apologize. It's like the way that it that I assume that that game goes, right? Like, uh, it's uh, I can see why it's dangerous for people, right? Why they 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 fall into a uh, into like kind of uh, 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 how do I want to put this in, into like fits and conniptions to make it to make their factories perfect. And I'm Gino just kind of like, like I can put a belt here and that will put two things together and then I will have a thing. Um, and I just don't kind of have the uh, intuition for putting things together perfectly yet. And I think that's part of the process. Like I think, I think kind of like cobbling together what you can with what you have initially is, is uh, fun. I mean, so that like, we'll probably do a full episode on these types of games at some point, but like, mm -hmm. Like I never found Minecraft creative mode to be super um, compelling because you know there's none of the tension there, right? And like the tension of of like survival Minecraft is that you you constantly have to like be doing things, so you can't do things perfectly because you know the world might just not like uh, uh, cooperate with you. Um, and you know I can appreciate creative mode my creative mode Minecraft from like a uh, uh, how do I want to put this from like a uh, from like a, a like a, a a point of view of somebody who just wants to build something, right? Like if you just want to build the thing, you like play Legos essentially. Um, I get that, but like, that's not super compelling to me. So, um, uh, the, the same kind of like, you know, you have to kind of like, you, you, things aren't going to be pretty because you have to make sure that you're, you're well defended or whatever. That's the attitude I brought into Factorio. And it sounds like maybe I don't need to be like that so much, but, uh, you know, definitely. Uh, definitely good fun. so, it's, it's, I guess it's a little more complicated than that. You do have to be like that to a certain extent. Uh, but the thing with Factorio is that, like, you can build, like, defenses for yourself, right? Um, so in Factorio, as you pollute things, you will agitate the aliens around you, and they will come and attack you and become more powerful and stuff like that. And so, but, like, you also have the ability to build turrets and, you know, like, that kind of stuff. Um, and so... Uh, if you are powerful enough, you can basically build your factory to look however you want um, and just defend it, uh, which is more or less the, the the route that I have taken in the past. Like I build an optimal factory and then that just puts a greater burden on myself to protect it well. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's – but it is, it is definitely a, a fun game. Um, it is like the epitome of kind of like, you know – 
taking taking two steps or you know taking taking some time to build like you know where you're not like running at full speed so that you can like you know 10x the speed that it's running at like that's like i guess the whole point of the game um so yeah um i'm not quite all the way there yet um and i haven't played uh-huh. a ton but uh it's it's fun it's also it's also kind of addicting in some ways um i also been jumping around i've been playing hades i've been playing uh final fantasy 14 i think i might jump into back into destiny 2 at some point because their next expansion comes out soon um nice you know, I don't know if you've seen any of the previews, but they're doing stasis classes, which is basically ice classes. And, you know, it's called Beyond Light because the darkness is coming and maybe the light isn't the greatest thing ever. Oh, twist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Who knew? <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, that's uh, that's my otherwise my week has been uh, not super interesting. I. uh uh, what did I do? I like this weekend. My parents were visiting, so I just kind of like explored the more scenic parts. I went apple picking, um, different place than we went last year. Um, man, that was only last year. But I oh my god, last year! Holy <laughs> crap! Wow, yeah, yeah. So I went to a place that was like this weekend, actually, like yeah. literally like a year ago. You know? Uh, yeah, yeah. I might have been a little bit earlier because the apple orchard that we went to had peaches, and peaches are out of season right now. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, do you, do you know if it was this weekend exactly off the top of your head? I know that it it might have been in two like in a week or two. Um, I remember that it was specifically in that like September October range. Okay, I, I feel like it would have to have been early. Like it would have to have been like early September because the peaches were still up on the trees. Yeah, you know what? I think it must have been like September fourteenth, fifteenth, or twenty first, twenty second. Okay, like looking at it. Or, yeah, I mean, we can, I'm sure we can figure this out if we want to do, but it's, it's not super important. But um, <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, so the orchard we went to was like moderately crowded, right? It was all right. The one I went to, to this time was like just like packed. Like you would you you would have think that they were like you know people were picking like gold off of these trees. Um, it was it was just like lines everywhere. It was it was nuts. Um, but I got myself uh, a a peck of apples. Um. Which was nice. Didn't have, like, I don't know. I thought the, the, the orchard I went to this time was not as good as the one we went to last year. But it was also closer. So I have taken note for the future. Um, but, yeah, that, that was my weekend. Apple picking and then uh, and Factorio. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Do, do you have anything else you want to talk about uh, for your week before we get out of here? Uh, boy, what else did I do this week? I... I, like, watched a bunch of movies and, like, played a bunch of, uh, like, I, like, I watched a bunch of movies and I watched a bunch of TV. Like, I watched a ton of Narcos. Narcos Season 3, by the way, is excellent, um, which is kind of funny because, like, Narcos Season 1 and 2 are the famous ones because they're about Pablo Escobar. Uh, but Narcos Season 3 um, kind of deals with the fallout after the Escobar case wraps, right? Um, and it is actually more interesting and more compelling than the Escobar stuff. Uh, kind of because, like, the Escobar stuff ended up being very sort of, like, off-screen in a way, um, whereas there was, like, a lot of real tension uh, in the in the stuff with, uh, with the season three guys. So I would highly recommend that show. They'll be prepared to read lots and lots of Jap- or, uh, Spanish subtitles. Uh, I have started Narcos Mexico, which is, like, the spinoff series with Diego... Luna um, and Michael Pena, um, which is actually a pretty huge deal. Do, do you know? Do you know anything about like the history of like the DEA and stuff? 
Uh, I know little bits and pieces of things, but why don't you tell me what the relevant stuff part yeah, is? Yeah, so the in the in the in the eighties, as like you know, drugs were were doing stuff or whatever. The DEA was actually not super powerful. There were like there were like more. The people didn't know what it was and didn't really interact with it all that much. Um, but then what happened is uh, a guy working in Mexico against one of the cartels. I think it was like the Guadalupe cartel or something. Um, uh, a DEA agent was abducted and like beheaded and, you know, like strung up or whatever. And then that was a huge like watershed moment for the state of like American politics with regards to like the war on drugs, right? Like the idea that this like DEA agent, um, gets, gets killed or whatever. And so Narcos Mexico is telling the story of that DEA agent. And I know generally that that is the, that that is the story. And I'm pretty sure I know where this is going, but like, because I don't know, it's sort of like, um, it's sort of like, uh, uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, because I don't know the specifics. There's actually a lot of like real tension and suspense, uh, in all of it. Um, so yeah, is this is this like the thing that creates like the hundred the hundred mile border exception law or border exception search thing? Honestly, maybe. Um, yeah. So I so I don't know how much you like. I know this stuff in like a kind of like an enforcement context. Um, and within a hundred miles of the border, uh, DHS has enhanced uh, ability to search. Like it essentially has an enhanced authority, um, which is you know source of many controversies. Um, uh, something like two-thirds at least of all the u.s population lives within 100 miles of the border right like you and i both live within the 100 miles of of the border um because it includes the ocean um so uh so you know if, if you look at a map it's like well every major metropolitan city is within 100 miles of border like i think most of new england where i live is like in with like you know like uh like you can't get far enough away from a border to to get away from it um uh, so it's yeah, it's it's. I think this is also like the authority under which, um, uh, you know, kind of famously, uh, uh, DHS enforcement officers were sent into Portland this summer. So um, I think that all like I know that, that all that kind of like stems out of the war on drugs um, in a lot of ways, and I'm, I'm sure that this is something to do with it. Um, uh, I mean that, that would at least make sense to me, um, but yep. uh, you know. All that being said, um, I think I'm going to wrap it up unless you want to talk about anything else. Nope, let's wrap it up. All right. Uh, if you'd like to email us to tell us uh, what you think about the DEA or any of the other things we talked about on this podcast, you can reach us at subversiveplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subversiveplaygames.com. You can follow us at twitch.tv slash subversiveplaygames. Um, I'll try maybe – one of these days I'll, I'll get everything together so we can stream this. Um, uh, but that week was not this week. Um what else? Rate and review us on iTunes uh, or everywhere else. There are podcasts. Give us money on Patreon if you feel like it. Um, that's everything I had. But do you have anything else you want to promote? I do have one small thing that I want to promote. Uh, this week, uh, instead of your regularly scheduled episode of Buddy Gets Good, uh, I'll probably be playing a, a community game of Among Us. We've been talking about uh, Among Us in the Aquapar Discord a lot recently. So I was like, hey, you know, instead of like doing one of these lame streams where I'm really bad at video games... Why don't I show off how fucking sweet and good I am at Among Us? Um, so we'll probably be doing that. I don't know if it'll be the exact same time. I'm going to pull the, the, the crowd, see, see when would be a good time for folks. But if you are at all interested, make sure you join the Akupara Discord. That is discord.gg slash Akupara Games, A-K-U-P-A-R-A. So 
Um, one thing that I noticed today is, is you guys pointed out today is Akupara's fourth birthday, right? That is it is Akupara Games' fourth birth, birthday. Yep. So uh, something I want to point out is next Monday is some derps play games or some derps talk about games' fifth birthday. So you know. Oh my God! No way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, you know, uh, look forward to that, I guess. I don't know if we're going to do anything special for it, but uh, that's that's next Monday. So uh, um, our, that's, uh, I guess, the end of it. Uh, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners. <laughs>